The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I have another interesting story for you today, a very inspirational story by a woman who is trying to help prevent young people from making her mistakes and finding themselves in some of the places that she uh, found herself. And she's trying to help prevent young people who are currently in foster homes from going into the penal system, which is was a part of her life as well. Her book, which will be published later this year, is called Off My Knees. From Skid Row to Sunset Boulevard. And her name is Julie Summers. So, Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dr. Carroll. Now, um, now, I know you haven't done very many interviews, but don't be nervous. I can hear a little nervousness in your voice. <laughs> okay. Uh. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to bite, and I'm not like Geraldo, although I like Geraldo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but... Uh, <laughs> The, I, I just want you to basically, you know, there's a reason for your writing this book. You're very passionate, I know, about helping people not have to go through some of the unbelievable things that you have had to go through, um, including prostitution, besides jail and prison and so on, and all kinds of personal tragedies, um, including prostitution. And I just want to ask you, so we're going to talk about your life starting from when you were born. <laughs> And um, show how you have made your, you have really turned your life around. You have been in the depths and you have now come to the point where, let me tell you, this woman has been awarded, has been receiving all kinds of awards since 1994, too many to mention. But I will mention at least her latest award, which was um, 2010. She was named PATH. Uh, 25-year honoree, and PASS stands for People Assisting the Homeless. She, this was for her serving on the advisory board and assisting the creation of Foundation House Homeless Shelter, which merged with PASS. And it, she, uh, because of all of her work, they named a section of the PASS building in her honor. So we're talking about, <laughs> we're, just so you have an idea of where we're going with this, when we start with the depths, we're going to um, really, and there were t- tons of other awards recognized w- in 2002, just to go back a bit. She, was, she received the Woman in Leadership Award from the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I'll, maybe there'll be time for me to tell you more of her awards, but there are, there are like 10 of them. 
starting from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. No, there are like fifteen of them starting from nineteen ninety four. So pretty amazing. So Julie, don't be. Um, you know, yes, some of this is going to be pretty gritty. Starting with, <laughs> I'm kind of interested in your title, Off My Knees. I, I'm thinking that that might be a double entendre. In other it words, is, Dr. Carroll. Okay, it got it. In other words, <laughs> very clever. In other words, you know, off your knees, you were down on your knees when things were super bad, sort of in general, and you were down on your knees when you were a prostitute. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, that's a great title. So you don't want to get a publisher to make you change the title. No, no, there's the, sec- Go ahead. Ahead. there's the sexual and the spiritual connotation. Uh-huh. Oh, yes, and, and uh, okay. And then from Skid Row to Sunset Boulevard, we're going to hear um, what the significance of that is, what you mean by that. So why don't we just start from the beginning, from your childhood? Because, you know, as a psychiatrist... Uh, I know that that's where everything starts for everybody. So what is, kind of a dysfunctional home <laughs> did you grow up in? so true. I, I actually, I, I had, a, a, I'll say, a, a very good childhood. I was born uh, into a moderately income family in the 1950s when the country was different. Um, the, the, we were considered the land of plenty back then. Um, but my mother had gone through her own trials and tribulations, and she was emotionally absent. So when a child has an emotionally absent parent, mm-hmm. it, um, it creates a, a chasm, a distance. And my father had his first heart attack when he was eight. We moved to Orlando, oh. Florida, not having, we lost our resources, did not know people, and he promptly passed away. So uh, how old was he then? He was 47. And how old were you? I was 12. Uh-huh. He, did and you say he had his first heart attack when he was 8? When I was 8. When you were 8. Okay. Yeah, when I was 8. When you so were 8. And then I had, when you were 12. I had a good, good childhood, all things considered, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, oh. I mean, Julie, <laughs> you just got finished. With, with just what you've said so far, I mean, maybe your parents wanted to be good parents, but... Your mother, you were saying she had problems that caused her to be emotionally absent. True. And so that is a huge, huge uh, factor that has a huge impact on a child because, and you tell me whether you felt this, because typically children with with the mother who's emotionally absent, first of all, the child believes that it's because of them, that they must have done, they're, they're a bad little mm-hmm. girl, that they must have done something wrong. And in any case, they just don't get all that, the hugs and the kisses and the warmth. No, and the, you're right. You're right. So, you know, okay, but so I've go ahead. I've seen a lot worse childhoods, you know. <laughs> I've seen a lot worse. Well, okay, but go ahead. So, so uh, yeah, and, and I loved my mother. I loved my father. I loved my mother very much. So, Did but you have any she, brothers or sisters? I do. I have two brothers. Were they, they were older uh, one older, four years older, and one two years younger. Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, so yes. Yeah, so, uh, life is decisions and choices, and my mother, my mother just didn't have the ability to... She had a very bad childhood herself. Um, she, she didn't have the ability to make good choices out, even before my father died, but after my father died. Mm-hmm. So, so, I had just turned 15, and... 
she let a friend of hers that she was dating, um, his name was Tex, and she let him take me away to Miami for a week. And she felt that I would see the world, something that she did not have a chance to do. And Mm. he raped me repeatedly. We went from one motel to another, and I think it's because I was screaming all the time. And I didn't think we had the money to cut for me to come home. I didn't know how to use a telephone. I didn't know how to get help. I just took it. Well, wait and a second. You were fi- you were fifteen, right? Well, why? Okay, you know, I I don't mean to make you feel bad with some of these questions, but I know that probably my listeners are thinking this. At yes. 15, I mean, it, it's not like you were three at fifteen. Why didn't you? Um, go to the like at a motel. Why didn't you go to the, when you were when he was checking in? Why didn't you scream at the uh, the person who was checking you in from the hotel? I'm being kidnapped or he's raping me or something you know, like that. I had just turned fifteen. I was maybe mm-hmm. two weeks into fifteen, three yeah. weeks into you know. So and I didn't know. I I don't know why I didn't. I don't I don't know why I didn't. You were you scared he was going to hurt you? I w- I had been a very obedient child. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd obeyed all the rules. The meals were always on the table. And I, I don't know why I didn't. Why didn't I pick up the phone and call the, you know, I mean, today's yes. child is much more aware. Yes, I, yes, that's true. Yes. Yeah. And I go back to, I didn't think we had the money for me. If I, I thought if I called my mother that yes. there was not enough money to get me back home. Uh huh. Okay. That was a big thing. That was a big factor. Okay. But, uh, no, it's a good. It's a very valid question. I mean, it is true that today that that is there is a big difference. So this was like nineteen, what nineteen sixty something? Yes, exactly. And um, there wasn't as much in the news about you know kids getting kidnapped or raped or. Uh, you know what to do about it, or or kids were were kind of a little more innocent in those days, right? So, okay, you, you talk about you had the phone in the room. You had to call the operator and call somebody, and that costs money. And I didn't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know okay. why. I well, took looking it. back, do you think that uh, what happened when you got home? Nothing. I mean, well, everything, because, of course, my whole life had, you know, been changed. But I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my mother. I didn't tell anybody. Huh. Okay. Um, yeah. Which is why, didn't, not, why, why, why didn't you tell your mother? Because I was afraid that she, I knew she had a very bad temper, Dr. Carroll, and I knew that she would go kill that man. Huh. Literally. Literally. Hmm. Okay. Did she, did, were you ever abused before then? I mean, you know, physically no. abused by your parents? No, no, not at all. Okay, all right. So go ahead. What ha- so so you so, of course that was an incredibly incredibly traumatic week. <laughs> so then, right. what did you do when you got home? I took a bath. My mother was facing the opposite direction in the bathroom, putting her makeup on in the mirror. And she said, did you have a good time? And I said, yes. And a few tears rolled down my cheeks. And that was it. I held everything inside. Wow. Did you feel that your mother had, that she didn't, your mother didn't want to lose this man? Oh, he never came around again. He never came back. 
He never came back to your home? No. Oh, my goodness. So... But did... So was she heartbroken? I mean, it seemed... Did, did you think that maybe this was her way of trying to keep him to be around her? That, you know, oh, no, 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 no. It's not... No, no, that wasn't the case. Um, because of her dysfunction, she, she, she actually had kind of an interesting childhood. Um, she, when her mother was six, she, her mother put her into an orphanage. First of all, I don't know if her parents were married, but her mother put her into an orphanage. She was adopted by her aunt and uncle, and then her uncle raped her from the age of mm. 12 to 18. So my mother was broken, and there, there wasn't... I loved her. I don't mean to, you uh-huh, know, uh-huh. but she, she was broken. I say in the book, like Humpty Dumpty, she couldn't be put back together again. So mm-hmm. there, wasn't, there wasn't the conversation of a regular, of a regular family. Mm-hmm. I, you just didn't talk about things. Mm-hmm. And that's, it, took me, it took me until I was, I was 40 years old when I went to my first psychiatrist, and she said to me, how do you feel about something? And that's the first time anybody had ever asked me. How do huh. you feel about something? So, huh. yeah, you can, you can appreciate that. So when, okay, not to, I mean, we still have lots of other interesting things in your life to go to, but I'm just kind of, this is just really overwhelming. Um, so when he didn't but I come turned back. Out fine. I turned out fine. Dr. Well, wait, Carol. wait, when he didn't come back, um, yes. was your mother brokenhearted? Like she must have expected him to continue the relationship with her, right? We, it was never mentioned. It was never mentioned. Okay. She was all right. She was she was on uh, Black Beauties at that time too. You know, uh-huh. she was on. She was uh, she was trying to cope with her own life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so go ahead. So, what did you do next? So, I had a miserable high school period. You know, four years where I I just uh, couldn't relate to anything or anybody. And um, then I, when I was 18, I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. So uh, that back in the 60s, Dr. Carol, people didn't talk about unwed pregnancies. There was no thought of, you know, you didn't keep the child. You, uh, there, there, people didn't talk about unwed mothers. Mm-hmm. So I had the child and um, came home and... A few months went by, and I, I, it's a, an emotional and a hormonal thing. I wanted my child back. So I looked in the yellow pages. So wait, and so I, you gave your child up for adoption? I did. I gave him up for adoption. Uh-huh. I mean, was that something that your mother told you to do, or did you decide that on your own? Oh, um, I forgot to say. She took me to uh, Catholic Charities, uh, and I went to a home for unwed mothers. Uh-huh. And... Um, was there with other unwed mothers. It was very much a stigma. And the Catholic Charity um, social workers, I do believe they, they thought that they were doing the right thing and had my best interest at heart. They mm-hmm. said, don't look at the baby. We, you know, give him up for adoption. He'll have a better life. You can't raise him. And it was true. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I mean, I couldn't raise myself. So, right. um, So where were we? So you gave him up for adoption, and then you you decided um, some weeks or months later that you wanted to get him back. Yes. Meanwhile, I was drinking. I was I was going out of control and just all 
emotional drinking and everything, but I decided I wanted him back. I looked in the yellow pages and saw an attorney and took the bus downtown and sat there and said, I told him my story. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, there is a way. Uh, come back tomorrow, and I want you to meet someone else. So I went back the next day, and I met another man who wasn't quite as smooth, you know, in my memory. And he said, yes, we can get your child back for you, but you need to pay our fee. And to do that, you will have to have sex with men. Hmm. And I, I wasn't thinking. I mean, I wanted my baby back, and it just, it, uh, I don't know what, you know, bad choices make for good stories. It was, it was, <laughs> yeah. it, it, why did I do that? I wanted my baby back. I thought that was the only way. Uh-huh. So, so um, I um, was going to, I still was enrolled in college and um, had my college books with me and was going nightly to, uh, it was called the Downtowner Motor in, or, in Orlando, and I was going nightly and going, and going to a room and waiting, and there were probably four men a night, and uh-huh. they would knock on the door and say hello. And the act was done. I don't want to go into gross yeah. detail. And uh, then they would give me money, and I would leave. Actually, I don't think they gave me the money. I'm thinking, no, they didn't give give me the money. They gave the money to the man who opened the door for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what happened. Okay, and, and, the when, the and, and we do need to wait. We I don't know if you heard the music, but we do need to take a break right now. We will leave everybody on this cliffhanger, oh. and we will be right back. Sorry. Okay, um, thank my you. My guest is Julie Summers. Her uh, upcoming book is called Off My Knees, From Skid Row to Sunset Boulevard. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Julie Summers. Her upcoming book is called Off My Knees, From Skid Row to Sunset Boulevard. And we kind of left her on her knees <laughs> when we, <laughs> before the break. And um, working as a prostitute to try to make, because she was told that um, she, that's the way she could make enough money to get her son back, who she had given up for adoption and then wanted to get back. So take us, start from, take us back to where we left off. Sure. So, um, so I did, the men did not pay me directly. They paid the man who opened and shut the door. And, but at the la- end of the night, the man did give me some money. But after, after it had been, I think, let me interject this too. I think along the way that I've been spiritually uplifted, I think that there's been a hand or something that's just kind of lifted me up because I got caught. And that's the best thing that could have happened. Mm. It got put in, it got put in the papers. And um, the the uh, person in the next bed had been um, uh, a black woman with her John, and the article in the, in the paper said Rollins co-ed Negro barmaid caught in by squad raid, and that just wait, wait say that again. Sure, uh, Rollins co-ed that was me. Oh yeah, ne- and Negro barmaid caught in by squad raid. Wow, and. I know. It was in the paper. It was on the radio. And that was my first big experience of shame. Uh-huh. Shame. You know, just it broke, you know, my mother sold the house. I didn't have contact with her for many years, several years, not many, several. And uh, my younger brother, who was only uh, 18 at the time, he was on his own then. And it was just, it was just a, a horrible thing to have happen to the family, but it's the best thing that could have happened to me. Because well, wait, your what... mother, so why did your mother sell the house? How did that she, connect she to couldn't the... Take the... She couldn't take the shame of that. It, was, it, had, it had been in the paper, it had been on the radio. So and she moved out of the town, you mean? Yeah, she moved, she moved away. Uh-huh. I know. Wow. wow. Yeah. And, you know, plus Ouch. it must have triggered your memories of the week that you had had at 15 of the week of being raped, you know, the first incident, incidents, that now the shame was compounded. Okay, so go ahead. Okay. So, so then I had a brief stint as a call girl. It was kind of interesting. I went to Miami, and uh, uh, I had met a woman, and she would said, if you want to do it, do it right. And mm-hmm. for about three months, I was a call girl making $500 a night, and I woke up one morning, and I said, this isn't right. And I don't know why. I don't know why, what intervened, or, you know, I don't know. Um, and I called a girlfriend who worked in Palatka, Florida, and I said, can I come and live with you? And I went and lived with her, and I got a job at a steakhouse being a waitress. Uh-huh. So that's a very big shift there. And yes. I, can, I Yes. I can only contribute that to, I was raised Catholic, um, I believe in God. I don't know, again, I don't know what caused me to, to wake up, but I did. Uh-huh. So I, went to, I was working as a waitress, and I got a piece of steak caught in my throat and, this, and ran out in the middle of the dining room, and this man turned me upside and down, got the steak out. And um, I, that was my first affair with a married man, to make hmm. a long story short. We went to live for a year in Costa Rica. Oh, wow. And, yeah, it was very, very, 
interesting. But um, then he he left, and I um, decided to, to come to Los Angeles. So I had mm-hmm. a I had a car. It was an old car, and uh, I drove out here. And the heater didn't work. And when it was cold, the roaches would crawl up my arms. Oh. But yeah, I know. <laughs> but I came here, and I was very lucky. I I um, got off the freeway, and that's when things were things were different than Carol. I don't know if you know that, but you could get a first month's apartment for free, and rent the first month rent for free. And I put my jewelry into a pawn shop, and I went to a company called U.S. Lines, United States Lines, and they were just starting it. The container business was just starting, and I got a really good job, and um, paid my rent, got my jewelry out, and worked really hard. Um, I like to work. I've had I've had a job my whole life, so uh-huh. so um, I worked there for a couple of years, and then um, then went downtown and had an interview with uh, James J. Boyle Company, which is a custom brokerage company. And a custom broker is takes care of legalities for large shipments coming into the U.S. And I, I was very lucky. I worked for a wonderful man um, named Moses Shamash, and he took another woman and myself under his wing and taught us the business. And I got hmm. my license. But in huh. the meantime, in the meantime, I met someone on the streets. I was still wild. I had a lot of energy, and. Um, I met someone who got me hooked on meth, methamphetamine, mm. and I had I was hooked on meth for maybe five years. Um, so so being hooked on meth, the dichotomies in play here again. Work, you know, I I started my own business. I was very successful. I had two employees. I brought my mother out. She was my third employee. I was hmm. making a lot of money, but I was on meth, and I couldn't handle the amount of money that was going through my hands. Mm-hmm. So I lost my business and uh, wound up on the streets again and got connected with Hell's Angels. Hmm. Um, and using, using meth, got connected with them, started writing checks against my own account, and um, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into here, but I got caught, and again, the best thing that happened to me was I went to jail. Uh-huh. Now, that sounds, you know, it's, it, it, otherwise I, I, don't, I don't know what would have happened to me again because meth is one of the most dangerous drugs in the world. Mm-hmm, yes. And I was hooked very, very badly. I lost my, you know, my teeth, my hair got thin, my nails got ridges in them. I weighed like 98 pounds. And I went to jail, and I was in jail for about two months. Sybil Brand was a very, very tough jail. And then from there, went to state prison for eight months. And mm. if, if that saved my life. That was my detox. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So um, I started to, to get a little healthy, and I've, I've, always been, I, I've always been pretty good looking, if I do say so myself, or <laughs> yeah, whatever. And... Um, so when I got out of, of prison, I went to work again, and I got some plastic surgery and met a, a Greek gentleman who saved my life. Um, I became his mistress, and it's a little different when a person, his, his wife knew about it, Dr. Carroll. It's a little bit, Greek men, of a, he was very wealthy. It's accepted in the country to have yeah. a mistress. 
Yeah, so it wasn't, you know, so he he put he gave me much more than money. He taught me how to live. He he I I just I just fell head over heels with him. Um he was a socialist. He was a multimillionaire. He helped people and to me he was every, he was my mother, my father, my you know, uh-huh. brother, my sister. I just I just fell in love with him. So he wrote a letter. He, we wrote letters. It took about a year, and I got my son back. And um, wow, brought my wait a minute. So no, wait, wait. <laughs> that, yeah. that happened kind of quickly. So wait, where were you living with this Greek man? Oh, he um, he set me up in an apartment. I mean, in Los Angeles. Correct. Okay. And then uh, and then I worked as a real estate agent, and I worked uh, selling houses, and then I worked, went to work for uh, Bruce Haynes selling apartment buildings. So I knew the apartment, bi- you know, business pretty well. Okay, and so, but, so wait, so wait. So how did he, um, how did he get your son back? We wrote letters to Catholic Charity. Okay, he, he but was it was a very that... smart man. And what? He was a very smart man. He still is. We're still friends. But I mean, um, when you say got your son, ba- well, okay, maybe I, sh- I don't want to. I found him again. He was twenty-seven. I was forty-seven. Okay, okay. But I found him. Uh-huh, okay. And so, in other words, you wrote to Catholic Charities to get them to tell you enough information about him so that you could find him. Exactly. That's very well said, Dr. Carroll. Thank you. Okay. And you. what did you find when you found him? I found a young man um, who, who was troubled. Um, I began a good relationship with his adopted, you know, uh, friendship with his adoptive father, and we knew that my son John was having his emotional problems. And but I didn't know what it was, Doctor Carroll. I I went to visit him where he lived and tried to straighten his life out by getting him back into college and making sure that he had a roommate, you know, in an apartment, and just trying to to get him settled. I know mm-hmm. twenty seven sounds kind of old to get settled, but that was, that was he needed help, and so that's what I saw that I should do. And why and, do you think? Um, why was he having these emotional problems? Had his had, was his mother still alive? Like you said, you made friends with his adoptive his father. father. And his his father, neither he nor his father got along with his mother. I do not know why. I do okay. not know why, but um, it turned out, and I found out later that my son was classic bipolar. And I didn't know what uh-huh. bipolar was. I kept saying, "Go get your thyroid checked." I mean, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't mm-hmm. know bipolar. And a blood test later proved it that he was just classic bipolar. Okay. Well, it wouldn't be just a. It wouldn't be really just a, a blood test. I mean, it really is a. He went to a psychiatrist, right? Um, the diagnosis really isn't through a blood test. Well. When he went to a psychiatrist after I just after he had the he threw himself out of a tree, a three story window in Texas. Mm. So he he didn't hurt himself badly, but I went there to stay with him, and saw that his life again wasn't in order, and so I had to take him down the stairs on a on a wooden stretcher, took him to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I don't I, I don't know which one. Sorry, and the. The doctor took a blood test and said, your son is bipolar. But he also talked to John. 
Okay. I mean, that you really, really, I don't know what he was, you can't really, I mean, it has to be through clinical exam and questions and meeting with the person that, well, I mean, otherwise, otherwise everybody would ha- be having, uh, I mean, that's, that's just not okay. really the way to do it. But, but I mean, that's, maybe it's just the way he, the psychiatrist or psychologist explained it. But anyhow, did he give him medication? He, that was the problem. And let me backtrack a little bit. John had tried to kill himself before. Mm-hmm. He'd taken his car and take, you know, put the gas in it. That's why when the man, the doctor said he was bipolar, it, it, it fit. Yes. It seemed to fit. Yes, um, yes. With the ups and the downs and the getting his life on track and then ruining it. And so, yeah, I accepted that. I just, I just. Yes. I, well, I mean, it's probably it. true, but one would think it was from, one would hope that it was from his psychiatric uh, examination of, of John. But anyhow, well, did, so go ahead. He, ta- so, so he we- talked to him for about an hour, an hour or two, because mm-hmm. I sat there and I was right beside him. Mm-hmm. And, and he, la- after I, I, he later told me, he called me, he said, your son is bipolar. Okay, and, what, and did he give him medication? He did. So, of course, I said, what's bipolar, and went out and read every book I could. But yeah. um, um, he gave him medication, which uh, John, John did not want to take, mm. like a lot of people. And I, I couldn't stay with him all the time. I couldn't be with him. He lived in Denver. I came back to Los Angeles, and he went back to Denver and took his medication for a while, went to therapy for a while at the VA clinic, uh-huh. and... Um, and and the contact be- between us became not as good. Prior to that, well, it had been well, good. Well, yeah, prior to that, yes. Like, how did he, um, what, when you found him, what was that like? What was that meeting like? I was euphoric. Oh, my God. It was, it was a type of love. I mean, I found the child that I'd given up for adoption. I found my son. I, di- I didn't have much family. I thought, oh, my goodness, thank you, God. Yes, you know? and how did he react? The same way. Uh huh. The same way. So, so I w- I took him to meet my older brother, my younger brother. I had him visit with me in Los Angeles. He met the Greek gentleman. Um, I went to Denver. Whenever he would call and say, "I need," he called me mother. He would whenever he would call and say, "I need to see you, mother." I would go. Uh huh. Didn't matter. I mean, you know. So we we spent quite a bit of time together over a period of years, mm-hmm. and quite a few holidays. And and I knew something was wrong, but sometimes a person just doesn't see the depth of it. Yes, I mean that's actually the big difficulty with people who are bipolar. When they're in their manic phase, they think they don't need medication, or they don't uh, they don't want to take medication because that cuts the high down makes them exactly. feel sort of normal, like uh, uh, not high and not low, but they like the highs. So exactly. It, it is hard. So, and I, didn't, I couldn't live with him and make him take his pills, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so um, I, was, I was living in an apartment building uh, that my Greek friend had helped me buy, frankly, and I was managing it, and there's 24 units near Sunset Boulevard, so I was busy with working. It was work, Dr. Carroll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I did everything. I managed it. I did the paperwork. I did it all by myself. Uh-huh. Um, and then, meanwhile, I was active in the community, and my relationship with John 
just wasn't as close, but I didn't see the danger. I just, I just didn't see the danger. So then in 2007, I got a call from the coroner, and he said, are you John Trainer's mother? And I said, yes, I am, because he'd listed me as his mother everywhere. And uh-huh. he said, well, your son is here. He's, he's dead. Oh, my God. So, and so, how yeah. did he die? He, he uh, took a shotgun and blew his head off. Oh, my God. And did you find out, did you ever find out what was happening, you know, what was he, the final he, precipitating factor? He, he left a suicide note. Oh, yeah. And when the detective called me and said, do you want me to read it to you, he, the detective said, do you want me to read this to you? And I said, no, because I knew if I did, I wouldn't come back. What do you I, mean? I, would, I, I wouldn't, I, it was such a shock to hear what had happened there, and I went to bed for a year, by the way. I, I, I went into shock, but the night that it happened, um, when the detective called and asked me that, I said no, because it would have been too much. I would have, I would have lost my mind. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, well, we need to take another break. It seems that these breaks come at these emotional moments, but then your life is one big roller coaster of emotional moments. Um, We're taking a break right now. Nobody wants to. Uh, My guest is Julie Summers. Her book is called, upcoming book is called Off My Knees from Skid Row to Sunset Boulevard. Everyone who's listening, I am sure, is thinking, writing that down, thinking we have to get this book. (laughs) You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We will be right back. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with Julie Summers, who is um, finishing her book, which will be coming out later this year, called Off My Knees. From Skid Row to Sunset Boulevard, and um, as I told Julie uh, off the air, this book 
is going to is like ripe for a movie, um, except it's going to be you're going to have to convince people that this is re- is really true, which I know it is, and I'm sure you'll you have the proof. But it's just all these things happening to one person. It's it's. Um, I was I was also asking off the air just now. Uh, did she call? What did she know after her son died? And um, she said that she called her son's uh, adoptive mother who thanked her for calling and then didn't tell her where the funeral was and didn't really have any contact with her after that. And then I started to ask, what, um, and so I'll ask it now, what, on, uh, what, what did you find out uh, after your son John died about what was going on in his life in the immediate month or so before? The night that the, or the next day maybe, the apartment manager uh, called me and he told me that John had been in his apartment with with a cat and that um, he had been in there for at least six weeks with just all by himself with no lights and a cat and everything was dark. Hmm. So, yeah. Hmm. One would have so, hoped that maybe the uh, manager or somebody would have, you know, checked in on him before then. I know, I know. And at this point, um, I was in total shock, and I went to bed. I just went to bed. Yes. Yes, I did, Dr. Carroll. A person, uh, uh, I didn't crack, but I went to bed, and I went to bed for a year. And, and what happened like with your Greek man and the building? Okay, and before, prior to that, if you, like, like three years four years prior to that, the, my Greek friend's wife had passed away, and he asked me to marry him many times, and for, my eyes were opened what a womanizer he was, and I did not marry him. Mm. I, mm-hmm. I said, no, thank you. I'll just continue my life here. Um, he went on to marry. He, he, bless his heart, he was the best man in the whole world, but he was the biggest womanizer in the whole world. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like, he was just a womanizer. So, so... I had a handyman who took, I, people would call, and because, I think, because I know, because I lived in my, in my building, and I had a relationship with my tenants, and they would call me when something needed fixed. I would call my handyman, put my hand outside the door, give him the keys, tell him, and he would bring the keys back later, and I'd go back to bed. Mm-hmm. And oh, so you that, did, you mean, so you did continue taking care of the building? I did, but it was, uh-huh. it was had a wonderful handyman that I took care of when I sold the building, by the way. Uh-huh. But, um, but um, yeah, so I, you were I remember. Saying, so wait, so the Greek man, when you didn't marry him, he married somebody else, and what? That was kind of the end of that, except that you're still sort of friends. Well, that was the end of that, but, you know, with him and I, it will never be over till it's over. We are still mm-hmm. friends. He got married. He got divorced. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> he had another, you know, he, he has, he's currently living with two women now. He's 92. Bless his heart. <laughs> and we 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 stayed um, we stayed in touch. Uh huh. You know, so um, so during this year that you were in bed, you yes. didn't go to see a psychiatrist. No, Doctor Carroll. You know, I I didn't have anyone to. I didn't. Ha- I was the person that everyone came to. I didn't have to answer to anyone. So I didn't know. I didn't know, I didn't, I just, even now when I get sick physically, I, I go to bed and then I get up and I'm better. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of spirituality. I saw where you. I was. I was very impressed with your your secrets from the universe of the shamans. And I don't know how many listeners will. It, I think the spirituality entered into me during the time that I was. I say in bed for a year. I did get up. I had to eat. Um, I know my neighbors got me groceries, but when I got up, I was a different person. I, I, well, money was not money was not my god anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so how many years ago was this that this happened? This was this was two thousand seven. Okay, and so tell it. Bring us up. Tell us what's happened since then. Okay, so uh, so time passed, and um, I I. It, around the, 2009, I, I felt social again and ha- had a nice relationship with someone. Uh, 2010, I, I was really getting, you know, back on my feet emotionally, and then um, just conti- I just continued my life. I was very quiet. I ran the building. I, I had stepped back out of everything because I couldn't function to go to political meetings or be the activist that I was, mm-hmm. but. Then the uh, the year, um, sorry, just one second until I get the year exactly. So it was 2014. There was a big project going to go up behind the building that I owned, which was very close to Sunset Boulevard. So I sold my building, and in the meantime, I'd been writing my book. But now I'm const- It's like this is this is this is m- what I was meant to do. I think this is what I was born to do mm-hmm. because I've been, Dr. Carroll, I've been in jail. I've been in prison. I've been hooked on meth. I've been a prostitute. And my whole demeanor and conversation will, it's like speaking a different language when you, when you speak, speaking the language straight in front of these kids. And I speak their language. And well, because wait, I've been which there. kids? Wait, wait, wait. What are you talking okay. about? Okay, I'm talking about, I'm talking, okay, I went from getting back on my feet, selling my apartment building, and then putting my, all my energy into writing my book so that I can eventually talk to the children who are in foster homes or hopefully talk to women who are just getting out of prison and say, I've been there, life mm-hmm. is choices, um, I, I, that's my goal, is to mm-hmm. help people make the right choices every day. Mm-hmm. Now, um, have, you ever, well, have you ever wondered um, whether you might be manic-depressive, bipolar? Yes, I have. And, but you haven't ever... But you, you mentioned seeing a psychiatrist. So when... Do, you've seen a mental health professional or a mental health professional? Yes, yes I did. Yes, she was very good. And that was in what year? That was um, in a, about two thousand, about nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine. Oh, a long time. Okay, and that was it. That was the only time. Yes, but I spent a year with her. Yes. Well, did she say? Did Did you talk about being possibility of being bipolar? Yes. I evidently she did not think that I was. I've I've thought. You know, I don't go. I don't. I've thought perhaps I was because, of course. Sometimes I get depressed, and sometimes I feel better than other times. But usually, I'm a, on, on a pretty even keel. I couldn't have done what I've accomplished, Doctor Carroll, mm-hmm. and been manic well, depressive. Well, 
Well, to play devil's advocate, sure. um, you know, it seems like, like when you were running the building, you know, that is for one person. I mean, I know people who manage and own buildings, and, and um, it, is a, it is a very uh, time-consuming, energy-consuming job. Um, you know, it's not like you just sit in your apartment and wait for people to bring you rent money. Um, so true. It so, was a big job, but I liked know. it. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> but let me ask you: Do you know who the father of your son was? I knew it was one of two people, and when I first looked at him, I knew which one was the father. So, did you ever try to con- after when you were pregnant or after you had the baby? Did you ever try to contact the father? Um. Because of that, because of the of at the time when I was pregnant, I didn't know which one for sure was the father. Yes. Uh, no, but in looking over the notes that I had from Catholic Charities, my mother seemed to know. With she had the mother's intuition, so she visited the father of my child. Yes. And and uh, they, you know, what do you say? Uh, he. I never had any further contact with him. So, no, I, did, I never called him. I figured he was married, had his own life. Oh, he was married. Own. Okay. Well, this was later. I mean, when I found my son, I figured that... No, but what about at the time that you were pregnant or at the time that you... Oh. Uh, I didn't know which one was, was my father. That was I, shameful, I, too. I, I know, but but sometimes people tell both men or however many men... Um, that they may be the father, like we, you weren't in a relationship with either of these men. Correct. And what, did you think that they wouldn't want to be in a relationship with you if you, like, that they wouldn't Oh, my goodness, of, of course. It was very shameful to be pregnant in 1966, 65. Yes. It was, again, I go back to that word. Which, but they weren't, but they weren't uh, married at that time, were they? Or were no, they? they were both single. Okay. I mean, what I'm trying to figure out is, um, it is when, do you think, I don't know how much you knew either of these men or the man who you think was the father, but do you think, did you see any, uh, anything to, and I don't know how well you knew him, but did you, looking back, do you think that he was bipolar? I don't know anyone in my family who was bipolar, the history of it, so I don't believe that the father of my child was bipolar, but it skips four generations as a rule. No, 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 no. no? I don't know where you're getting all this information. I mean, I it's sad it. because there's a lot of misinformation out there. No, it doesn't. It, there's no specific number of generations. A mother can, or a father can have well, a, a bipolar mother or father can have a bipolar child. Or it could be a grandmother, or it could be an aunt or an uncle. That's true, that too. I, forgive me for miswording that. No. I think I should, Forgive me for that. You don't it, need to be forgiven. There's a lot of misinformation out there. You know, I'm glad you're bringing up these things because, because that is a big problem, that um, in general there's a lot of misinformation about, about mental illness out there. And so I'm glad that you know, you're, you're bringing up these things. Um, but I was just kind of, I was just wondering whether there was some way that you could know which was more likely, whether it was coming from uh, the man who you think was his father or whether it was more likely to be coming from your family. But, okay, um, I do not, I don't believe so because the Catholic Charities um, did extensive um, 
question, questioning. Uh-huh. And, and to the best of my knowledge, no, the biological father was not bipolar, neither was anyone in his family. Uh-huh, I see. You mean before they placed the child? They were- exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Well... Well, I mean, I guess the only reason why that is significant now um, is just that it's something for you to, you know, just if, I mean, probably, oh, I probably, what? I wondered, of course. Yes, yes. Well, I do recommend that people, if, when, boy, you know, I mean, when, when someone has had as traumatic a life as you have, um, and most of it not the... Uh, I mean, you know, you can't really take, yes, everybody makes choices, but you certainly didn't make the choice to start off with to go with your mother's boyfriend or who, you know, who then raped you for a week, and that kind of started things off, um, of course, and having, and having, you know, the, the problems that we talked about in terms of your mother and father. But, I mean, so you didn't choose to be raped as a 15-year-old and a lot of other things. You didn't choose to, um, I mean, it, you had a, it was, you had a good heart when you were wanting to get your son back. So, and you believed these people who told you this is the way to do it. So, a lot of these things that you're probably still feeling ashamed about really weren't your fault. Oh my goodness, I'm looking at the clock. We're like, huh? We're so close to uh, the end of the <laughs> the end of the time, the end of the show. Um, is there any? Let me uh, t- just in these last few minutes. What would you like people to? Uh, come away with that life can be good to to get up every day and put one foot in front of the other and make the right choices and that even from the depths when it seems like uh, when it seems like there's no hope if you keep putting one foot in front of the other that wonderful things can happen that's exactly right because I, I just want to reiterate, because um, I think you were a little too humble to kind of get into it, but obviously um, You've had a very, uh, in, in the years once you, when you did um, work your way up from the depths, uh, uh, you did have a very, very exciting, a very wonderful, a very uh, community service oriented life. And I just mentioned a couple of the awards, but really from, two, from 1994 to 2010, and I'm sure there are more in your future, you've been awarded. <laughs> Many, many awards. So this is, uh, you know, you've really proven how um, you can, a person can make it from the depths. Again, the, uh, the name of the book that you will be seeing in your bookstores uh, before the end of the year is called Off My Knees from Skid Row to Sunset Boulevard. And, and Julie may Summers, I, what? May I say one thing, Dr. Carroll? Yes, yes, quick. Anyone who's listening can contact me at the email off my knees the book at gmail.com. Okay, off my knees the book at gmail.com. That's great. Well, Julie, thank you so much for sharing your story and and um, I do hope your book not only that your book is successful but that it gets made into a movie. Thank um, you. <laughs> thank you very much. That's a good and, thought. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 